Hi everyone, it's Sam, producer and occasional presenter of the Pint of Science podcast, stepping out from behind the desk once again for part two of four in our special mini-series in collaboration with Aston University. In this episode, we're meeting Dr Rebecca Nibb of Aston University's School of Psychology. Rebecca researches the psychology of allergies and looks at ways people who suffer with intolerances and other conditions such as asthma can live happier, more confident lives. It's something which affects millions of people throughout the UK and can make the most simple activities like getting on a bus or buying a coffee a daily ordeal. Rebecca's work focuses on helping these people and their families, as well as assisting in research into future therapies which could potentially save lives, as well as a huge amount of stress and anxiety. If you're listening to this and you're maybe inspired to learn more about these scientists' fields or STEM courses in general, head to aston.ac.uk for more information. But right now, pour a drink of your choice and get ready for a pint of science with Dr Rebecca Nibb. So, Rebecca, first off, you, you specialise in the psychology of the impact of allergies. What are you actually researching on a day-to-day basis? Well, on a day-to-day basis, we generally, we're looking at how asthma and allergy has an impact on people's day-to-day lives and how they manage that so that we can look at ways in which we can help them manage better so the impact isn't quite as great. So we know that asthma and allergy, food allergy, eczema, those sorts of conditions have a big impact on the way in which people live and on their quality of life and there are some conditions particularly food allergy that creates a lot of anxiety fear and worry so our research really focuses on what the impact is day to day and how we can help people manage better so that the their quality of life is good and they can live as normal a life as they can so what are you researching at the moment what's the latest study Our latest study is being funded by the Food Standards Agency and it's to look at quality of life um, across the whole of the UK in people who are affected by allergy intolerance or celiac disease. So we're very shortly going to be launching surveys asking people how allergies, intolerance and celiac disease has affected them, how it's affecting their lives, um, what impact it's having on them day to day and the impact on quality of life. But we're also going to be looking at allergies and intolerances from a health economics point of view as well. So we're going to be asking people about how much they may be willing to pay to not have the anxiety around allergy. Um, So this is sort of a willingness to pay model, which our health economists that we're collaborating with are going to be looking at. And all of this information is going to feed into policies that the Food Standards Agency are going to be developing around helping people manage better. So that might be about how we label foods, or it might be around the information that's provided to catering establishments, and those sorts of things. So it's a massive project that we're running over the next year, uh, and we're hoping to recruit thousands of people across the UK, from young people as young as eight years old, parents of children, and also adults who have allergy intolerance. It's a really exciting project that we're going to be running. Uh, it's called the Food Sensitive Study. Fantastic. And interesting that the, the government's actively involved in supporting that as well. Yes, the, the Food Standards Agency do an awful lot of work with food allergy, food intolerance and celiac disease. So it's it's fabulous that they've, they've got this money to be able to fund us to, to do this project. 
Fantastic. And are you actively looking for participants for that now? We will be. We're going to have a um, survey launch in September. So people look out for food sensitive study. It'll be um, advertised across a number of different channels, but particularly across social media. So Twitter in particular, we use to, to advertise out to people. But Celiac UK, Nanoflexis campaign and Allergy UK will also be um, advertising the study out for us. So, yes, if, if people are, are interested and they want to take part, um, hopefully they'll be able to, they'll, they'll see an advert for it. Fantastic. Great stuff. And that's coming out in September, the adverts. So, yes. so yes. keep an eye out for that audience. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> what are the most common problems that, that you deal with in allergy sufferers psychologically? And and what are the biggest problems psychologically that allergy sufferers face on a day-to-day basis? I think the, the biggest issue is the fear of having a very serious reaction. And this is particularly for those who have um, food allergies to things like peanuts, but also things like eggs, milk, shellfish, these sorts of foods that can cause a potentially life-threatening reaction, um, which we call anaphylaxis. Now, you don't necessarily uh, are at risk of dying if you have an anaphylactic reaction, but if you do, then um, that is one of the most serious reactions where you usually wouldn't adrenaline. So this is what creates a lot of the fear because particularly with food and food allergies, you can't, you can't avoid it. You have to keep eating. And quite often you can't see the, the hidden proteins that you're allergic to. So even when you read food labels and it says may contain nuts, for example, you're not sure if there are nuts in it or not. And if you go out to eat and you ask for a meal that's peanut free, you're not entirely sure that it will really be peanut free because people can react to these very small amounts. So this unknown and hidden sort of potentially life-threatening protein is what causes a lot of this worry and fear, particularly in parents who are trying to look after children with food allergy, but also in um, children as they grow older and they have a a better understanding of their own allergies and their own health. So particularly teenagers who want to be going out with their friends and who want to not be different from their friends. It can cause a lot of anxiety there. But also in adults as well. So we have adults with allergies who you know, have, have to carry their adrenaline pens with them and, and still maybe have these worries and fears about having this potentially life-threatening reaction. So, so that's really what drives that, that fear and that anxiety in people. It's kind of the unseen side of allergies in a way, isn't it? Because, you know, most people are aware of the need for people who have severe allergies to carry EpiPens and things like that. But the psychological side of things, I guess, is possibly forgotten by a lot of people, because if you have an allergy and you eat something you shouldn't, you are then in a period of of medical emergency. But of course, you've got that lingering fear of that following you around 24 24 hours a day, haven't you? Yeah. Three meals a day if you've got a food allergy, for example. That's absolutely right. And I think people um, without allergies don't maybe don't quite understand how much fear it can create and how how big an impact it can have on people's lives because food is such a an integral part of our social life and we you know we eat out we eat when we're on holiday and all of these things can be uh, have an impact if you are if you're allergic to food yeah and so what can we do as a society and as individuals I mean I don't know which your research concentrates on on more or whether it's whether it's both but what what can be done there are um, huge leaps in um, immunotherapy at the moment. 
So there are clinical trials ongoing at the moment to look at ways in which we can help people uh, not be quite as, as allergic to things um, so that you know, potentially you could eat something that may contain traces of peanut and you wouldn't react to it. And I think this is um, going to reduce a lot of that fear because um, you can easily avoid eating a peanut or eating a Brazil nut, mm. but it's much harder to avoid the, the traces or the cross-contamination. So the immunotherapy trials that are ongoing at the moment are going to have a massive impact um, on people's lives. Because if people can then tolerate very small amounts of nut, for example, or peanut, then it takes the fear out of eating because you can avoid a pack of peanuts, but you can eat something that says may contain, you know, you're not going to react or have a very serious mm. reaction to it. So from a, from a clinical point of view, that, that's absolutely fantastic. From a psychological point of view, we're still looking at how this is going to have an impact on people's lives and their quality of life. Um, there's a lot of work being done at the moment to find out whether people's quality of life is getting better once they're in these clinical trials and, and once they know that they can tolerate small amounts of the protein, does their quality of life get better? And how do they manage their lives afterwards? Does it mean that they can go out to eat and feel less anxious? So there's a lot, still a lot of work to do there. But of course, not everybody can have immunotherapy at the moment. It won't work with everybody. And we don't have it for all foods that cause allergies at the moment. So we're still doing a lot of work in, in looking at how we can help people manage and cope because there is no sort of cure. We don't have anything that will take somebody's allergy away completely. So we are looking at ways in which we can support people in terms of managing their anxieties and their worries and managing their day-to-day -day life. And that's a big role that psychology has to play. In terms of, so if, if for example, I suffered for, from a nut allergy, what would your suggestions or the suggestions of, of a psychologist be to, to help me at the moment if, if I was in that situation? That's a really broad question because it really depends. <laughs> Sorry. <you know? laughs> Some people manage absolutely fine. They, they've grown up with it. They know what they need to do. They know that they need to read their food labels and talk to, to chefs or, or if, they, you know, if they go out to eat, talk to the waiting staff about what's in the food. Um, and they manage very well. You know, there may be some anxiety there, but there's, there's nothing that would need a psychologist to, to help them with. But there are families and patients who, who struggle more, who may um, feel much more anxious about it. Some people have very complex allergies, so they have many foods they're allergic to. It makes it very difficult to work out what you can and can't eat. Um, if you're allergic to milk or egg, you have a very restricted diet because milk and egg is in a lot of foods. Mm. And so if you're feeling um, anxious, then as a psychologist, we would need to work out what's driving the anxiety. What, what are you particularly anxious about and what is it stopping you doing that you would like to do? So is it stopping you from eating out or is it causing you sleep problems because you're worrying about it? Or have you got a food challenge coming up where you need to go into clinic and, and have some food to see if you're still allergic to it and you're, and you're worried about that? So there are lots of things we can do to help, but we'd need to know, you know what, what is causing the anxiety because that could be a whole range of things. Absolutely. You talked to a second ago about the immunotherapy research that's going on. How closely do you 
as a psychologist, work with the immunotherapist. Are, are you kind of watching their work from afar with interest or are you actively involved in, in analysing and building upon what they're doing to create, a, a, I guess, a more holistic therapy system? Yeah, I think it's a, a little bit of both moment. I'm not involved personally in the, the in the research that's ongoing for the clinical trials. So I'm watching with great interest um, what the results have been for these trials. But um, we're often called upon to give advice on a consultancy basis, looking at the quality of life of people who are in these clinical trials and how that might be measured and, and how the results of the trials might have an impact on people's lives. So there are psych- some psychologists working within the field who are working more closely with the companies who are running the trials for the immunotherapy. Um, so psychology is integral in pretty much everything that we do with it when we're uh, helping families with allergy. Okay. And I, I wanted to ask as well about societal attitudes to allergies. And I, I think I mean more in terms of, is there more that food manufacturers, restaurants should be doing so that people who suffer from allergies when they're out and about, I mean, I guess this would be specifically food yeah. allergies. Is, is there more that people should be doing? I think things have changed quite a lot over the last few years with the changes in the legislation around labelling. And that's helped enormously. So now if you go into a restaurant, they have to provide information on what ingredients are in the food um, and they have to be able to answer your questions about allergies. So I think that has really helped. And you know, there is training for, for staff who work in um, catering establishments to be able to provide that information. But I think often you know, there isn't perhaps enough training and people are, are still not quite sure what impact allergies might have and what's the difference between allergies and intolerances. Mm. So with intolerances, obviously they're similar to allergy, but, but different in that you don't have an immune reaction and they tend not to be life-threatening, but they still cause really debilitating, unpleasant symptoms. So I think there is a lot of misconception about that. And sometimes people might understand intolerances as to be not as severe, not as serious, um, maybe a lifestyle choice for some people, or they might want to lose weight so mm. they're avoiding wheat and gluten. And that's very different to somebody who has celiac disease, for example. So I think there's, there's still a lot we can do in terms of um, helping people understand how allergies, intolerances, celiac disease all affect people's lives. But I think that the landscape is, is getting better. People have a, a greater understanding, but I think there, there's still a lot of misconceptions which still make it hard for people to meet out. Absolutely. And in terms of the psychological aspect of, of allergies, is there anything that psychology can do to make allergies safer? Is that something that you look into particularly? Some of the work we do is around risk behaviour. So dying from an allergic reaction to food is still is very, very rare. I think um, mm. one of the misconceptions is that it can be quite common. And if you have an anaphylactic reaction, you're, you're in a life-threatening situation. And so people think that the risk is much higher than it is. But the rate of deaths from, from food-related anaphylaxis is, is very low. But of course... You know, any death is one, one death too many. And, yeah. and although it is the risk that's very low, food is something that we are in contact with many times over the day. So you're facing that risk every time you eat or every time somebody else has eaten and comes and gives you a, a hug, for example, or a kiss because they've, 
they've eaten something you're potentially allergic to and you've got that risk of, of cross-contamination. So we do work with, with this, you know, this risk perception which drives anxiety to try and help people understand what the risk is and what they can do to reduce their own personal risk. So we do a lot of work, particularly with parents and with teenagers, around planning and making sure they carry their adrenaline water injectors wherever they go, making sure they're reading food labels, they're telling their friends, they've got a plan in place for if something happens. So we help with that sort of behaviour, which gives them the confidence to be able to maybe go out and eat or go on holiday in a different country and having to, to manage a different language and talk about your allergies. And that can then reduce people's anxiety and improve their quality of life. Out, out of interest, how did you end up going down this route and specialising in, in allergies? What's your background? Uh, it was, I guess, completely by accident, really. I was looking for a job after graduating and there was a post at Birmingham University looking at people's self-diagnosis of reactions to food. So there's a large proportion of people who who will self-diagnose, often because it's very difficult to get preferred an allergy clinic, um, or it's, it seems to be a straightforward reaction to food. So, so they diagnose it themselves, treat it themselves. This post was really looking at why people do this. Why, why do people um, not go to the GP but diagnose things themselves? And quite often they might get it wrong, and so they're avoiding food needlessly. So this was a project I did you know, 25 years ago, and I'd never heard of food allergies. And it really sparked my interest. And from then on, I've just continued working in that area. And it's really rewarding because the people who you work with, are not just the clinicians, the nurses, dietitians, but the patients themselves, the parents, they are so motivated to do um, anything, any research, take part in any research that's going to help people like them. And you get such great feedback from people about how the research you're doing is really having an impact on their lives. And that's what I find a rewarding part of the job. But allergy is so such a tricky area. There's, it's, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's allergic to, to different things in different quantities. And it causes some people great anxiety and others less so. So there's a lot of work for psychologists in the field. And that's just how I've carried on working this field for 25 years. And there's still so much to do. It's going to keep me going until I retire. <laughs> I suppose it's enormously important as well, isn't it? Because it's something that permeates every level of society, regardless of, of who you are, where you're from. Allergies are something that can affect us all, aren't they? And they're kind of invisible a lot of the time. That's right. Yeah. So with the, there's a lot of conditions that are invisible. You, know, you, you look at somebody and you wouldn't know that they had an allergy or you wouldn't know that they had diabetes, for example, or, or heart disease. So it is an invisible condition. And it is the rate is, is increasing. And so it does affect people and it affects people of all ages. So you can be diagnosed as a baby and grow out of it, or you can have no allergies at all and suddenly get something when you're an adult. And we've done very little research about the elderly, you know, sort of our elderly population with allergies. How, how are they going to manage? It is something that affects you across the whole lifespan. I know, you talk there about uh, babies can uh, can occasionally grow out of it. Mm. One thing I did want to ask you about, allergies are something that is potentially open quite easily to pseudoscience and quackery online, partic- particularly today. Mm. How much of a problem is that? Because you hear horror stories about, for example, well-meaning but slightly 
dangerously stubborn, I guess, relatives trying immersion therapy and feeding babies stuff that they know they're allergic to in the hope that they'll grow out of it. People using shampoo that has coconut in it on people who have severe coconut allergies, thinking that either they know better or it won't affect them because you know it's a shampoo, not a food. They're not eating it. How much of a risk is that? And what can we do about it, I guess, as well? Yeah, as we talked about earlier, there's a lot of misconception around allergies and there's a lot of misunderstanding. And, and so these, these things can happen. Um, and people don't quite understand how allergies work or how immune therapy works. They don't quite understand that you can react to very small amounts of, of protein in food. And I think what I would always you know, recommend is if, if somebody does think they have a, an allergy and it is, you know, it is affecting them, that they do see their doctor, they do get referred to an allergy clinic. And that's where they'll get the best advice and the help that they might need in order to manage it properly. And do you think that there's more that should be done to stem misinformation online, either by you know, wider dissemination of, of correct information or some kind of cracking down? I think that's quite difficult. I mean, there are a lot of sites out there and people yes. do understand that there's a lot of things on the internet that, that may be incorrect. We always refer people to information that we know is correct. So everything that our patient organisations, so the Anaphylaxis Campaign and Allergy UK have on their websites has all been checked and is all accurate information. Um, and so we'd always recommend that people go to those those sorts of websites if they need advice and they need support and they have helplines as well. And they have handouts you can download. They have all sorts of information and resources that are really, really useful for people with all sorts of allergies. So we, we do have those websites that have excellent information. So we always try and make sure that we refer people to those so we know that the information they're getting there is going to be correct. I will pop a link to a couple of those in the description as well. Yes. So if anyone is concerned or wants to learn more, we'll give some uh, some links to the right places to go to. <laughs> that, that would be great. <laughs> Rather than some uh, some Facebook group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that would be great. Their, their websites are, are fantastic, and and we work very closely with the patient organisations in in all of the research we do because they're so important and they represent the patients we're trying to help. Excellent. And we've spoken about it a a little bit already. You've also alluded to the fact you're going to be kept busy for the rest of your your career. (laughs) Where do you hope and expect to see the field in the next 5, 10, 15 years? That is a good question. I think there's going to be a lot of work um, done around immunotherapy and making that available to people um, at not not too great a cost. And I think that's, that's going to be fantastic. There is a lot of work being done at the moment to try and improve the access to psychological services through allergy clinics. And we published a paper fairly recently about the lack of of services, but where services are in place, they do an absolutely fantastic job. And they're really helping people to manage and have a much better quality of life and much less anxiety. And so I'm hoping that over time, more allergy clinics will get the funding to be able to have bespoke psychological services for the allergy clinics. Um, that would be great. But we're also trying to provide the support that's available for all. So, you know, not everybody can get referred to an allergy clinic. Not everybody will be lucky enough to get to an allergy clinic that has a psychologist there. 
So we're looking at the minute uh, across, you know, not just in the UK, but across Europe, um, America, Canada, Australia, what psychological services are available, what's the uptake um, on what is needed so that we can start to put into place maybe some online materials that people can access that will help them manage um, their allergies and uh, reduce their anxieties. And of course, that's not going to reach everybody either because not everybody has access to the internet. But we're hoping that over the next few years, we'll be able to actually uh, at least improve access to, to support that people can, can have through a number of different means. Um, and that, that would be fabulous to be able to do that because I think a, a cure is, is some way off yet. Yeah, but access to information is is key really isn't it yeah it's not just information because you know you can you can provide people with information and it doesn't necessarily change their behavior we know you know there's a big gap there you can provide people with how to do things uh, and they still struggle in changing their behavior so so we're hoping to provide some online resources and support to help people target behavior that they they might want to change or the things that they might want to do to reduce their anxieties and then support them through that so that they've got that access to to help and support without having to to pay for it to try and get referrals through through the healthcare system fantastic one thing i did want to ask about because i was looking at your your research portal on aston and you teach a module in illness processes and behavior yes can I ask what the, what that's about? Because that's just sounded really interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also teach a final year module on psychology of asthma and allergy. <laughs> you do, yes. <laughs> so, I do. <laughs> the illness process of behaviour module is very much focused on how stress um, has an impact on our um, our health and how that interacts with behaviour and physical processes. So it's sort of a, a biopsychosocial approach. We're looking at biological processes, psychological processes, and social processes, how that has an impact on, on our behaviour. And then we look more at sort of long-term conditions and we look at how people react when they're diagnosed with a long-term condition and how they manage that and what interventions are useful to help manage their long-term conditions. Brilliant. So again, it's uh, the unseen side of an illness, isn't it, in that case? so Yeah, very much, yeah. The health effects you can have, which are beyond the, the physical. Yes. Yeah. And, and obviously, as, as psychologists, we're very focused on how physical conditions uh, affect people both mentally and how it affects their quality of life, how it affects how their other aspects of their life, what, what's the impact on their social lives and all of those sort of aspects. And as health psychologists, we're very much focused on lifestyle conditions like stroke, heart, heart disease, diabetes. Um, but those sorts of things. And, and of course, for me, al- asthma and allergy, um, atopic dermatitis, those sorts of conditions as well, which is what I, I focus on. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for that, Rebecca. That was absolutely amazing. Thank you very much. Well, that was a fascinating chat and an eye-opening look at something I personally hadn't really considered before. So thank you so much, Rebecca. If you're inspired to learn more about this field, Rebecca is the Programme Director for the MSc in Health Psychology offered at Aston, and you can find out more information about this and other STEM courses at aston.ac.uk.